3: Hold your horses. We are back at it. The weekend is underway. It is a Friday edition of the Fifth Hour with Ben Maller and David Gascon, unfortunately, west of the 405, because four hours a night, not enough on the overnight. This is the spinoff show. You found it. You have found the talk of the podcast world. We do this eight days a week, and every Friday, we attempt to have a conversation a chit-chat with someone, someone in the wacky world of sports that we like or know or want to know, and that is what today's podcast is all about. We will tell you who we're chatting with in a minute, Gascon, but we have survived another week of... uh, the radio wars. The radio wars. Here we are, surviving and back at it again on the podcast.
4: Now, are we moving the Maller Mansion to a a more um, diverse city and state? Uh, since we have done so with Major League Baseball's All Star Game, are we doing that with the Maller Militia and the Maller Mansion?
3: It's the third rail, my man. It's the third rail. <laughs> Out there, I don't know what you are talking about, man. I, uh, you know, life uh, goes quick. You know, you gotta, you gotta stay up with the. Uh, Stay up with the noise there, my man. Stay I, up with the I noise. I guess
4: Rob Manfred could have moved it to Tampa, right? Now let's move it to Colorado. Boy, Rob
3: Manfred, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> we, we should just do a podcast bashing Rob Manfred. But this would not be the podcast nope. to be doing that today. This would not be it. But we uh, have some strong opinions about Major League Baseball and their decision to move the All-Star game. And the good news is we've been proven correct the amount of criticism that Major League Baseball has gotten Uh, has been immense. But we do love baseball, despite all the noise. At least I do. Uh, I've been enjoying it. I don't know about you, but I've been been enjoying the hell out of the baseball season. I've been watching uh, tons of of games here. And during the day, I wake up. And for most people, it's the afternoon. For me, it's the morning. And I'll flip a game on and... I don't care whether it's a Marlins game or a Mariners game or whoever. And, you know, check out a little baseball. I love it. It's yeah. great.
4: A little odd that Oakland got its first one of the season off of the Dodgers, but as soon as I knew Kenley Jensen came into the ninth inning and a runner got on,
3: uh, Matt Chapman,
4: I knew ball game was over. Blown save and a loss was coming the Dodgers' way.
3: Yeah, it is fascinating that Kenley Jansen, who was at one point wonderful <laughs> – is still encouraged to go out and be the closer when he's been very mediocre. It boggles the mind, really, for years. Uh, Kenley Jansen has been doing a tightrope walk on the regular, and despite Dave Roberts knowing the risk of sending Jansen out there, he continues to do it. Now, the way I look at this, not that we're breaking this down because we're going to talk some uh, some baseball with a Dodger rival uh, in a minute here, but the thing about the, the dynamic with the Dodgers, my theory is every time... Jansen goes out and pukes all over the mound. I don't get upset because I feel like we're closer to him being removed as the closer. Like he's getting near the end of the rope there. So I think that's a good thing. So every time he blows a save, that means later on someone else, player X, whether they trade for that player or it's somebody else in the, in the bullpen, uh, will get the opportunity to sink their teeth in as the closer. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's what I
4: like. No doubt. I mean, that and Baltimore beat the Yankees the other day too. Red Sox got off to a horrific start. I mean, it's not all bad. I, I saw Nick Castellanos get ejected, uh, or not ejected, suspended for a couple of games because he was talking shit at home plate after sliding in safely on a wild pitch.
3: Doing the mad dog. He was doing the mad dog. <laughs> Can't do the mad dog in baseball. The Cardinals won't allow it. The Cardinal way. Yeah, I guess. got to be all buttoned up. The St. Louis Cardinals, it's always that Yadier Molina who's always griping and complaining about playing baseball the right way, the Cardinal way. You know, it's so annoying. So annoyed by that. You can't
4: pimp yourself when you slide in safely at home in game two of 162.
3: You can celebrate. You can live life. There are people in the crowd there that paid their money. They want to be entertained. And it is plausibly the entertainment business. Yeah, that's true. Last I heard, it was the entertainment business. But anyway.
4: Entertaining as it is, do you think there's mass panic in San Diego? And are you hoping for mass panic?
3: No, listen. I love san diego i got my start in radio in san diego i have fond memories of hanging out at the old jack murphy stadium qualcomm whatever they called it at the end there and i'd buy the cheapest ticket and i'd sit wherever i wanted because the padres had you usual fire sale there you watched tony gwynn and a bunch of nobodies it was tony gwynn and the, uh, the the three stooges or in this case the eight other stooges that were out there. But no, I don't have any animosity towards the Padres. Now, the Dodgers are going to end up winning, and I'm obviously more loyal to the Dodgers, but the Padres are a monster, a rags-to-riches situation for the Padres from where they were a couple years ago and where they are right now from the house to not the penthouse but they're they're close to the penthouse they they can they can see the the country club up ahead and, and they were in the trailer park so they've, they've gotten a lot better and we're gonna have a conversation here with one of the Padre broadcasters a staple over the last decade in San Diego and very smooth I like this guy because he's got big pipes He's a he's an old news guy. Did the did the nightly news? Did the morning news in Minnesota and in New York uh, as well? Mike Pomerantz is uh, is ha- going to hang out with us right now. Now, do you do you do you know him in the past year? Do you go back with him, uh, Gascon? Do you yeah. have a history with him?
4: Well, I mean, like yourself, I got my start in San Diego with Extra Sports thirteen sixty, which was the old flagship station that you were at for the San Diego Chargers. And our afternoon drive shows would have Mike on on the regular. And then, yeah, I did a couple of events with Mike. Um, A few years ago, the Los Angeles Kings, the Anaheim Ducks, they had a a massive hockey day where the Kings played in the afternoon, Ducks played at night, and in between that, their junior clubs played. And Mike and I were on the broadcast for that from – uh, the Anaheim Ice uh, practice facility for the Ducks. So we were on that together. And, uh, yeah, I've known Mike for quite a bit. Good dude and an extremely nice man. He's everything yeah. that you are not. He's positive. <laughs> he's encouraging. He's engaging. He talks on the phone. He calls people
3: back. Well, everything I, I, I call, hey, wait, 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 tough guy. I called you up this week. Did you answer your phone? I was working out. Did you call me back? I did. No, you did not. I did. That's a lie.
4: I, I will screenshot that is a lie. the callback.
3: I am looking at my phone right here. I'm holding my iPhone. I do not see a return call from my phone call. No. I did not get a callback. No, no callback. So you just lied. You
4: want to you bet on that.
3: You're going to have to wash your mouth out with soap and water. Okay. You just told a lie. <laughs> you're not allowed to lie on a podcast. It's a bad job by you. Oh, boy. You're breaking the podcast rules is what you're doing. Can we get to the guest, please? Can we get yes, to we will get to it. But not really a guest. It's someone hanging out a with friend. But Let me just point out, though. As you know, I'm very critical. I think most people that do broadcasting suck and are terrible and all that. Uh, this is someone who actually thinks pretty good. Uh, I have watched his work with the Padre pregame and postgame. He does some play-by-play as well. Uh, Mike Pomerantz is his name. You yeah, see him on Bally's What are they calling it, Bally's San Diego? Is that what they're calling it, Bally's Sports San Diego? Bally's Sports San
4: Diego, yeah. Yeah.
3: They changed all the Fox Sports regional networks to the Bally's brand. And Mike Pomerantz uh, joining us, and it's a good time to talk Padre baseball. Now, I was in san diego back in the day the padres didn't spend a whole bunch of money and all that but boy have things changed in a large way what is different now what is the big difference between the padres now who are spending big money and the padres of the past
5: well tenth season of watching uh watching this team well for one instead of uh hopes and prayers that they might win uh their actual expectations that i think is the biggest difference and it's not just the fans, it's I think organizationally and the players actually have a, a feeling that they expect to win when they come to the ballpark as opposed to, you know, saying the right thing for the public and then hoping it works itself out. That to me is the most noticeable change And the obvious is, is quite clear to I think every team now playing is you starting to see fans filter in there and uh, it seems like their expectations are certainly, are certainly greater and there's just an atmosphere of, of fun and excitement. So it's been it's been a completely different vibe for sure.
3: Yeah. So what has changed? Now I worked in San Diego and I was around the Padres and they always they didn't spend a ton of money. You know, they had some good players, but they didn't. Back in those days, they didn't go overboard. They always used the small market thing. They couldn't spend a lot of money. But Fernando Tatis, the the contract that he signed this off season, uh, or, you know, not that long ago here, uh, an amazing one of the, the biggest contracts in baseball history. What's the dynamic now? How how have things changed as far as the ownership is concerned for the Padres?
5: Well <laughs> that literally the million dollar question. Uh Pete Seidler has uh, has taken over the primary uh, reins, and Ron Fowler um, has has moved into some other capacity So, so it seems like Mr. Seidler has decided that uh, he's going to find the revenue or created himself, and has decided he's going to spend it. You're right; it's unlike anything the market has seen in a while. And I really think it started, if you're if you're real analytical about it, I suppose, with Eric Hosmer signing, because I think he signed an eight-year, 144 million dollar deal. Maybe even go back to Will Myers, who had a I think it's $60 million left on his deal right now. But you can go Hosmer and you go Machado. And so the Tatis deal wasn't entirely shocking. That the money might come, but I think the duration, a 14 year deal at what, 340, uh, surprised a little bit in the industry, mostly because of uh, Fernando's injury history and, uh, lack of actual big league experience. But the money being there, I don't think was as shocking this time around. The real shocker, as it felt down here to us, was really the Manny Machado deal. 300 million over 10 years. No one. Uh, in this area seemed to think that it was coming. And really, nobody did, I think, across baseball. If I remember right, Kenny Williams, the guy who was running the White Sox, still does, uh, who was also bidding on Machado. When he found out about that deal, he almost uh, crashed his golf cart in spring training because no one thought it was coming. But it's a different vibe for sure now.
3: Yeah, and as far as Fernando Tis, you mentioned the, the injury history. I know it's early in the season, and uh, he's currently on the – the injured list, but you know, what's what's the vibe around this? Is this going to be a, a season-long situation? Could this end up in surgery? What's the real story there with Fernando Tatis that you're hearing?
5: Well, what we're hearing is is pretty much what I think the public's now hearing from A.J. Kreller, uh, the general manager, and that is right now they're going to stay away from surgery, as you know, but they're open to that possibility that if this continues and recurs, as it has basically three or so times in a span of a one or so about three, four weeks, um, if it becomes an issue on and on, they may have to go the surgical route, though right now they're trying everything they can to opt it. He's on a 10-day IL. He's eligible to come off. Uh, the team's on a road trip now. They start playing tomorrow in Texas. They'll be back uh, in time to take on the Dodgers here after they go to Texas uh, and then Pittsburgh. And he'll be eligible to come off the list then, but whether he'll be strong enough and ready, I think that's uh, that's the great question. And everybody here, as a fan, and, and I think a watcher of this team, Always looks at him with a cautious eye because his history is so great. He had the stress fracture in his back last year, plus a hamstring or two years ago, uh, the hamstring injury as well. Then he had a hand problem in the minor leagues. He's never played uh, a full season. I think right now he only has about 146 or so games under his belt um, going into what is now his third year. So there's a cautious eye. I think right now everybody is hopeful. There are some guys who played through this, but not necessarily well. Everybody brings up Cody Bellinger, especially folks in L.A. But if you look at Bellinger, yeah, he was on the field, but he's still not hitting, even after last year um, where he had the issues even then to the uh, championship series. So there's questions as to whether, when you come back, what kind of player are you? And I think that's where we're all watching Fernando closely.
4: Mike, so as tempered as fans are in San Diego, and obviously you covering the team for such a long period of time, what is the expectation, and do you think they'll hit that mark?
5: Oof, the expectation is it's a playoff team. Um, I don't think they're getting too caught up in the numbers because, as you guys know, I mean the projections are insane everywhere because most of the league, it seems, isn't even trying. Um, they didn't, most teams didn't spend this past off season. Most are just trying to get their finances in order. So you've got three clubs in the National League West clearly capable of losing 90 games each. Uh, And basically the same for the American League West, which for the Padres is going to be their primary focus when it comes to interleague play. So there are a lot of wins out there on the table. You could easily say this is a 90-win team if everybody is, by and large, healthy. And obviously I say that knowing full well what we just discussed. Um, But I would say the expectation is they've got to be at least a wild-card team. They know the Dodgers are the team to beat in the West. I don't think it's a great mystery. But now that we don't have the expanded playoffs like we did last year, I think the expectation here is clearly this is at least uh, the first, if not the second, wild-card at the very least.
4: So with that being said, I know there's high hopes for you, Darvish, to deliver, same thing with Blake Snell. But where's Chris Paddock mixing all this? Paddock has been the one guy where two years ago he blew the doors off of everybody Last year he regressed, and then this year it's a slow start.
5: Yeah, it's a it's a big question mark for them for sure. Um, because the expectations are that they win, obviously the leash isn't going to be as long. He came up with a lot of fanfare. Don't we see that a lot, maybe too often with these young guys? Um, used to be you didn't hear about prospects until they produced at the big league level, really. But in recent years with social media, there's this expectation, and he came in with a lot of that. and A lot I think is unfair on a young player until they start to finally get traction and the league tells you how good you are instead of uh, the organization or the fans. So for Chris, he came up as a two-pitch pitcher, fastball changeup. Um, the league figured him out probably about halfway through his first season. And if you remember the good offensive teams hit him pretty well, even in his first year, uh, the patient teams and the Dodgers were one of those clubs at the time um, and still are. And those teams that are waiting him out and re- you know how it is. If you're a starting pitcher and you're reduced to two pitches at that level, uh, it's going to be really hard to get through a lineup. So my anticipation is that he's going to get a handful more starts and um, to see if he can finally establish a little consistency, and uh, they may have to make some changes, you know, into May June if he if he can't do that. I don't want to be premature and say I don't have any inside information that he's on a in, on a chopping block immediately. But the patience level is going to be different, right? When you're expecting to win is as, as opposed to whether you're hoping to win, and that's where the Padres are right now.
4: Yeah, I think maybe some sentiment crosses over from. The National Football League and the NBA, where guys come in right away and they hit the ground running. So why can't they do that in Major League Baseball?
5: Yeah, I mean, it's the thing about baseball that has changed so dramatically, as we know, is the little things that you were supposed to learn in the minor leagues aren't even required at the big league level anymore. For example, nobody really steals. You don't bunt. There is no situational hitting. It's max velocity. You swing out of your shoes, and somebody's going to click one, and it's often the guy you least expect, and it's a battle of walks, strikeouts, and homers. So you're seeing guys up there with the fast twitch fibers at 20, 21 years old, 22, that don't seem to require as much seasoning, meaning learning the game as they did... 10, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, you just, you, if you can hit the velocity and you can make a few routine plays, it seems like you're more likely to get a shot. Um, the NFL is as is, is, is much for shelf life and injury, right, as anything else. you got to get them on the field because who knows how long you last in such a physical sport. Um, baseball, you're starting to see it more and more. Um, teams are, are sinking money into prospects, and they're not, you know their they're thinking is uh, they're like Doritos—you keep crunching, okay. we'll make more. If we've got guys blowing out to injury, we'll just put a bunch behind them. Uh, and you're seeing teams run through cultures like uh, you know like nobody's business. I think as a result,
0: there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for or the perfect table. Hey, where are you coming?
3: Yeah, and Mike, you mentioned the the way baseball's played, and we, we've all, you know, guys our age have complained about this, said, how you know, what's going on with this. But they are trying – they're talking about changing it and trying to get more back to the way the game had been played in the past with stolen bases and hitting behind runners and actually bunting occasionally and things like that. I remember uh, about 15, maybe even more than that, years ago, uh, a, a manager, Terry Collins, uh, it was, he was managing the Angels. I guess it was long before that, but he – there was a situation that called for a bunt and he didn't, he didn't use the bunt, and, and the, one of the writers after the game said, why didn't you, you do that? And he then explained that the guys didn't know how to bunt. So they just didn't <laughs> practice it. And, uh, I mean, I, 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 what's it going to take, Mike, in your opinion? You've been around baseball a long time now with the Padres. What do you think it's going to take to get the game back to not completely the way it was, but a little bit closer to that style of play where it's not just swing from your heels and try to hit a home run? It's home run derby every night.
5: Oh it really is. It's what like they say, right, the three true outcomes, just the home yeah. runs, walks and strikeouts. And and I think you get you're you're asking the great question. Theo Epstein who just moved from the Cubs front office as you know to the league uh, has verbalized that need to make the game more exciting and interesting to fans. How you do it is is the toughest question. Rob Manfred and his group, as you know, put in all these uh, ideas and experiments in the minor leagues to try to pick up the pace. But it's not so much the pace of play that I find uh, challenging and what we hear from the fans. And remember, we're watching 162-plus every single year. It's not the pace. It's the fact that nothing's happening in that span of time. If, it's, if there's movement and excitement, you don't even notice it's a three-hour ball game. But if it's walks and strikeouts and you're waiting for a homer, three hours feels like eight hours. And I think there's no real easy answer somehow, um, whether by lowering the mound, whether by adjusting the strike zone, whether by backing up the mound, uh, something maybe to give the hitter a little better chance to put it in play. Eliminating the shift wouldn't hurt, or making it such that left-handed hitters had a fighting chance. You're seeing a bunch of really good athletes do non-athletic things. That's never good for any sport. They're just standing there. The ball's never in play, and fans love Right, the highlight play. You're looking to see somebody who's more gifted than you are athletically do something you can't do. And you're not seeing enough of it in baseball. How you get there, buddy, I have no earthly idea what the definitive answer is, but they've got to do something to get the ball in play. I can't stand going to the park like any of us and watching Mike Trout spitting sunflower seeds on the off chance he might get one ball in a two, three game series. Um, and that's just not good for the game. So hopefully they'll figure it out, how they do it. But if I had the answer, man, you'd be going through six people to get to me for an interview because I'd be the <laughs> genius of the sport. And I'm
3: that's not. a good point. The the booking process would be much more difficult if that was the <laughs> case. But the, the thing I've heard, Mike, and you're around the the you know, players, I guess, you know, with COVID guidelines. We'll get to that uh, later. Maybe not as much because you've got to do everything on Zoom. But what I had heard in the past was, you know, the the sacrificing and the bunting, the, the The players' argument is they don't pay for that. Baseball teams pay for home runs. They don't pay if you're the guy that hits behind the runner and, and you bunt. And so that's the counter argument. It's like, why are the players really going to change their approach if the industry doesn't pay for those skills? So you're actually True. leaving money on the table. That's That's the issue I've heard.
5: Yeah, it's a, it's a, it seems to be valid. I mean, look, all the way up from the time these kids are uh, old enough to pay attention to what's going on, you're going through high school where they're now ranked and rated based on velocity and, and how far and how hard they can hit a baseball. And so they're not concerned with learning the game. They're concerned with measurables. Do I throw 95? Can I, whether I can throw a pitch behind an account or work a corner is inconsequential. I'll get drafted if I throw hard enough. Something goes once you get to the minors, right? It's like you had said. If I'm hitting home runs and I'm generating power on the one of two or three times out of ten I actually make contact, that'll get me promoted in a paycheck. But if I can hit behind the runner and sacrifice and steal and read uh, situations, it's not as appreciated as it was because you look at the numbers at the big league level, and they'll tell you a stolen base Uh, If you're not stealing at a 70%, 75% clip, it's not worth the the risk. The trade-off isn't there. Uh, A guy scoring from second on a base hit um, statistically isn't a whole ton greater um, than being at third, so why would you sacrifice him from second to third? That's what we're seeing now in the extra innings. Aren't you shocked? I know I am. With the extra inning rule where they put a runner on second base, how infrequently – teams will try to push him over to third and then just score the one run on the sack fly. Instead, three straight guys, unless it's the pitcher up, uh, will just take big rips, hoping to make it a two-run difference instead of the solo run. Um, It is a strange situation, but you're right in that if the game doesn't pay for the skill, why would the player work to develop it? The flip on that is the clubs knowing they've got six years, basically, of uh, ownership of a player. The player is almost playing right into the hands, uh, of ownership as far as finances go, because they'll say at the end of your six years, eh, we've gotten you for your prime years of your athleticism and your fast, twitch. we'll let you go. We're not going to pay the big salary. You get a couple, one or two offs, right. That we read about with the big contracts, but the middle player, is getting squeezed out of the game right now. It's the cheap guy and the tatis bets kind of contract guy that's going to hang around. That's that's still not good for the game because those smart, really good contributor-type players, the middle major leaguer, is getting squeezed out.
2: Be sure to catch live editions of the Ben Maller Show weekdays at 2 a.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. Pacific. Be sure to catch live editions of the Ben Maller Show weekdays at 2 a.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
4: Mike, I know you're in season number two of Major League Beginnings, a podcast that you and Mark Sweeney and MLB vet uh, host uh, on Apple iTunes. Can you give us a little bit of the conversation behind the scenes between you and Mark?
5: Yeah, yeah. Thank you for asking about that, by the way. We've had a ton of fun with it. So so Sweeney, as you know, 14 years in the big leagues. He and his agent, longtime agent, Barry Axelrod, um, who was is well-known in the industry, and Craig Biggio and Bagwell and Mark Grace and Rick Sutcliffe and on and on. They had this idea to write a book. Um, Instead, they decided to turn it into a podcast and, and invited me to join them. And the whole idea is we talk to guys and gals around any sport, really, who have reached what they consider to be the pinnacle or are major players, so to speak, in their field. So we bring them on. Sometimes they're Hall of Famers. Sometimes they're executives. Sometimes they're from other sports. Uh, and we kind of get to their what we consider to be their at least metaphorical major league beginning, wherever they got started, and walk them through these uh, fantastic tales that they rarely get a chance to, ask, to, to talk about because everything they get asked, is always topical. Well, this is more of an evergreen thing. You want to know the history behind Kim Eng, the general manager now of the Marlins. We have that kind of thing for you. Um, the first time they're in the clubhouse, the introduction to the leagues, the, ple- the people who took them under their wings, that type of stuff. So we've been able to put together a nice roster. We drop it once a week, usually on a Wednesday, um, a nice roster, guess, and the feedback's been great. I really appreciate you asking about it. If folks get a chance to, to check it out, subscribe and rate it, you know how that goes. We'd really appreciate it. Now see Mike what, see what you think, give us the feedback.
4: Yeah, Mike, I was gonna say you actually come from an, a unique transition where most people don't know this, but you were actually a news guy before you became a sports guy uh but sports has been in your life your entire life i guess as a young adult and now as a as a professional um ben's got a lot of fans in in the minnesota region and and i know you've worked in that area as well uh what's it been like i guess covering news as a whole and then making your way down to sunny san diego
5: man what a it's been a heck of a ride i've learned i've been really bad at a lot of things uh (laughs) in my career but it's been fun to experiment you know minor leaguer and, and couldn't make the big leagues. and Then I flipped over to broadcasting and, and wanted to become a reporter and was, you know, obviously I wasn't a named player. So I went into news instead of sports and fell in love with it and was a, a reporter and anchor for 20 years. So the way we ended up in Minnesota, we'd come from New York city and, and CBS and WCBS in, in New York and got an opportunity to work in my wife's hometown in Minneapolis. And, the quality of life, as anybody who's in that area knows, is so high. It's such a great place to live. You endure a little bit of a winter, but you have a ton of fun doing it. Um, and we really enjoyed it. Had the, Our daughters grow up around family, and it was just a wonderful experience. And then I started uh, entertaining the notion of getting back into sports in some capacity. And a buddy of mine who was running the network that handled the Twins and the Timberwolves Etc. up in that area, asked me if I wanted to kind of freelance for him a little bit. I did it, fell in love with it. He came out here, started up the San Diego uh, station that was handling the new agreement with the Padres, and asked me if I wanted to tag along. I said, sure, I'll take a shot at it. I have pretty much sucked at everything else I've tried. How much worse could I be? <laughs> Gave it a go, and, uh, buddy, I'm still, I'm still very lucky every week that they throw a paycheck at me. I'm very fortunate to be around it. But uh, I don't miss the winners, but I do miss the people.
3: What about the the skill set of being the news anchor and you worked in New York and you said you you obviously in Minnesota there but the the difference between being the sports guy and being the the news anchor on the the nightly news or the morning news what's the what's the change how big a change is obviously it's huge change but what's what was that like for you
5: Well that's a good question and it's a I think several folks who've done it I think we all kind of say the same thing and there's for one thing you know in news right you you feel like you're imparting information that, will, that could potentially affect somebody's life, the real life uh, stuff, um, not the entertainment side of things. So I think that type of heaviness, if for some people in news, I know it did for me, can kind of weigh on you. And again, I did it for 20 years. and After a while, I thought, my goodness, man, this is really, really heavy. I like getting to the root of things, but the industry had changed a bit. Um, as far as the resources these networks were throwing at the product, and it was getting a little tougher, I think, for journalists to do their job and feel like they had the backing of uh, companies that were rooted in journalism as opposed to being purchased by venture capitalists and being run with uh, different budgetary concerns. And then flip it over to sports, it was like, hey, you know what? The coolest part about it was after somebody has put 15 hours in on a factory floor and they just want to be entertained uh, and informed on their favorite team, it was really nice to be able to be part of putting a smile on somebody's face who's had to, to deal with some real-life stuff. So after serving the medicine, as you, you, know, you might say, for 20 years as a journalist, um, the, giving them the stuff they had to have or they may not like informationally, it's really nice to be on the other side of that. So you know what? We're the dessert for you. You put in a hard day. Your, your world's been uh, a little trickier than you'd like why don't you take your mind off it, enjoy the ball game? we'll try to make it fun for you. And, and it's been a really nice flip. But the, the hardest part of that transition, I think, has just been letting go uh, of the seriousness uh, in life that I think I started to allow uh, to kind of take me over in a negative way. I, I think I started to look at things just through far too heavy and dark a prism and realize, hey, man, it's a short time you get on the planet. You might want to lighten up, Mike, and enjoy it a bit, and that's what sports has given me.
4: Mike, given the fact that you were in that realm for such a long period of time and now you see what's outside of that, do you trust the news?
5: Great question. Great question. I I trust the people um, at certain outlets uh, that they're trying to do the best they can. I, I certainly have my opinion as to which outlets those are, Um, I'm very selective as to who I choose. I search out what I feel to be the most objective and I know the natural tendency in this day and age is to search out your news source uh, and and look at the whoever's going to say the thing that you most agree with and look at that as a valid news source. I've kind of trained in the old school where I try to look for the objectivity in it um, and I do find it it's tricky. I trust the sources uh, I've come to trust over time. They've, they haven't really failed me, uh, but they're, they're certainly winnowed down now, right? There are fewer of those, um, but I still believe they're out there, and I know that there are people out there trying every day to do the right thing. I don't think anybody goes out there with uh, malice to present too much of a jaded case. I think, save for a few, um, and I'm being very careful not to name names in this, uh, I think most objective outposts and outlets who have traditionally been that way. Um, the New York Times, I know I can throw out there, as, some, as an organization I know tries day in and day out to get it right. Uh, those types of sources are the ones I go with. So, yeah, I still trust, uh, but my pool of trust has gotten a lot shallower.
3: Well, and Mike, following, we just talked about baseball getting back to, you know, the, more the way it was. But the news business, is, as you said, you worked in a long time, like, is it ever going to go back because there's money to be made being on team red or team blue like you you can make money doing that so what would encourage anyone to go back to being you know the neutral arbitrator if you will of the of the news if you can just make a lot of money being on one side or the other being a partisan
5: you're right you're right uh, I don't know that there is an answer I think it's going to take somebody who's somewhat altruistic uh, some type of just philanthropic billionaire who says, you know what, I'm not looking at this as a a place I have got to make the same margins profit-wise that we've made in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, I'm looking at this as something I'm doing to do the right thing. And I don't know that that person or people are necessarily out there in mass uh, because nobody gets into private business to lose money. But it's almost like it's going to take that. Um, And it may come down to just fewer and fewer sources willing to do that. Uh, But that's the great question, man. There's so much. Look at what what we watch every night. It's hot take after hot take after hot take. And it's not thought out. It's not well-researched, a lot of it. It's just screaming and yelling, trying to get eyeballs, trying to get ratings. You get enough uh, folks who will buy in the conspiracy to take your side, whether it's red or blue or what your color is, or team is. It doesn't matter. Um, and that doesn't seem to sell. It's it's not a positive outlook, but I'm, I'm hopeful that somebody somewhere with the money to back it will say, you know what, enough's enough. Someplace somehow has got to be uh, middle of the road. And we used to have that saying in journalism, and you guys know it. It's If I get complaints, you uh, equally from both sides of an issue, and I know I'm doing my job properly. It means I'm somewhere in the middle where I'm supposed to be. And you don't see a lot of that, and it, there is some risk to that. And to your greater point, it's not a revenue generator to be objective. Um, it's a shame, but the, the current audience is like, look, we want it lazy, we want it spoon-fed, and nobody likes to be argued with and feel wrong, and they want a participation trophy and feel like you know the world's on their side, so they're going to tune into a station that feeds them whatever they feel like that line needs to be. It's, it's tricky out there for sure. All
3: right, well, Mike, thank you. I appreciate it for, for coming on. Good luck with your podcast and continued success with the Padres and, uh, and we'll see you down the line. Thank
5: you. Thanks, man. Hey, hey appreciate the time and uh, enjoy the season and I'll hopefully catch up with you again, if not in the postseason.
0: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. <laughs> Hi, checking in for